Good morning and happy Sabbath, church. Uh, Pastor Adrian here. I pray that you are all well and uh, staying connected to God and to one another at this time. Uh, Today in our message, we will be in Deuteronomy chapter 5, and we will also uh, be in the New Testament. Uh, We will at least uh, briefly uh, reference from Matthew and John as well. And today we're going to look at a passage uh, here, um, this this speech given by Moses to God's people. Uh, We will begin reading uh, at Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 23 to 29. Deuteronomy chapter 5, 23 through 29. It says, so it was when you heard the voice of the, in the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, that you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders, and you said, Surely the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his greatness, and we have heard his voice from the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God speaks with man, yet he still lives." Now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us if we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more, then we shall die. For who is there of all flesh who has heard the voice of the living God speaking from the midst of the fire as we have and lived? You go near and hear all that the Lord God, our God may say and tell us all that the Lord our God says to you, and we will hear and do it. Then the Lord heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me, and the Lord said to me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people, which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. Verse 29, Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments, that it may be well with them and with their children forever. Let's pray. God in heaven, um, today we worship you and we praise you. We thank you for your holy word. And today I want to pray as we look at this passage uh, and others and from scripture, I just pray for a word from you from heaven today. May these be your words and not mine. And may each heart listening today uh, be open to receive the message that you have for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Today, I'd like to begin with a story that um, really um, doesn't put myself in in such a good light, especially as a minister. It's an experience uh, I had some years ago uh, when my wife and I were dining in around uh, downtown Dallas, and we decided uh, this particular time that we would go to one of these fancy restaurants in downtown Dallas. And I can't remember the name of of the restaurant. Some of you are probably familiar with it. There's a large, tall tower in Dallas uh, with a ball on top. And uh, very recently, they've had fireworks there. And there's a restaurant up there. And so we went to go one time. Uh, It's something that we enjoy, my wife and I, is going to uh, restaurants with good food. So we went there, and we ate, and we ate, and we ate, but we never really got full. 
because uh, the food was somewhat expensive and the portions were not very large, so we kept ordering food. And uh, after about 50 bucks or so um, worth of food plus a tip, uh, I told my wife, listen, I'm still hungry, but I think we need to go somewhere else. They're going to break me here. So we paid for our food, paid for the tip, and I left actually quite a little bit upset because I had spent this money. We did have a nice time, but I was still hungry. And so I wasn't very happy about, you know, spending so much money and still leaving hungry. So we went to another restaurant literally down the street uh, called Medina's. And so we sat down and we ate. Uh, they have a really great uh, couscous there, vegetarian couscous. That, are, that We have been to this restaurant many times before. And uh, I really enjoy their food and so does my wife. And so uh, we ate and um, we weren't there very long and we were getting ready to leave. And I thought to myself, man, I spent more money again, but at least I'm not hungry anymore. So I was really kind of perturbed by the whole thing. And I did something I never, ever do and was just really, really bad. I was so being so cheap that I decided not to tip the waiter. Well, this was not a good idea. Even when I was putting the money into the little folder, my wife was like, hey, are you, you going to tip them? And I was like, no, I'm tired of spending money on food. So so I I was just... You know, I, I had it with spending money and, and on food that day. And uh, shortly afterwards, the owner of the restaurant came out and he sat down next to me. And he said, my friend, I have to talk to you. Now, we have been to this restaurant many, many times. Like I said, we enjoy it. We've talked to this guy before and uh, he's... It's a Middle Eastern uh, restaurant. It's a Mediterranean, excuse me, a Mediterranean restaurant. And uh, we talked to this guy. You know, he was a nice uh, gentleman, middle-aged gentleman who uh, was from the Mediterranean. And they served great food there. And so uh, he, he was just a good guy, you know. And he especially he liked talking to my wife because she was Japanese. And... Um, so he's like, well, what's the deal here? How come, you know, what's the deal with the, with the check here? And so he pressed me about not tipping the waiter. And, um, and he basically, he, re, he rebuked me, you know, for not tipping the guy. And so I, uh, I, didn't, I couldn't really say anything, you know, because that was really bad of me. And so uh, I listened. We talked for a minute. You know, it wasn't an ugly ordeal. It wasn't, you know, loud or, or disrespectful or anything. He just, you know, approached me. And so, you know, I, I apologized and, and I tipped. And then we left. And, um, you know, that evening I, I did something really, really bad, really wrong, you know, um, I broke a rule between a server and a customer that everybody knows not to break when you go out and eat. I mean, this is very clear black and white rule when you go out and you are expecting to pay for a meal and to pay uh, those who serve you. Because after all, of course, this is how they make their living. 
And the thing about it was afterwards, I felt so bad. I started thinking to myself, man, what if this would have been somebody in my family, you know, who was trying to earn a living and somebody was, was uh, going skimpy on them or, or, or uh, not paying uh, the tip, you know, how, how would they make their living? And so, um, you know, I, I just really thought about that very deeply. And since then, I have, I've always made a note to be somewhat generous uh, in, in tipping. But unfortunately, we haven't gone back to the restaurant. My wife has been too embarrassed. And I miss their food. You know, they have good food. And uh, it was, it was a, it's a nice environment. Uh, they've even won some awards in Dallas. But, you know, it's, it was, it's a lot more than just about the food, you know. It's a lot more than just, just about uh, tipping that waiter, which was the most important thing. I, I miss the experiences that my wife and I had there and the conversations that we had uh, with this gentleman. See, there was, uh, it wasn't just a, a client and a server type of relationship that was broken. There was a friendship there that got... Uh, rattled. There was a friendship there that, that kind of gotten broken. Uh, and even to this day, we have not gone back to the restaurant. And so I've always felt kind of bad about that and wished, you know, that I just would have uh, kept that rule that would have kept us going back to this restaurant. Now, of course, we can always go back. Um, but I share that story with you today uh, to illustrate that the commandments of God that he gives us are not simply rules between a creator and his creation. They're not just house rules for the sake of peace. They're not just house rules uh, for the sake of compliance. They're much, much more than that. Here in our text for today, Matthew, or I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 5:29, God says he has this almost with this yearning, he says, "Oh that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments that it might be well with them and with their children forever." God had this longing that the children of Israel would be his faithful covenant keeping people. Now, everything that we did not read prior to this passage was a review of the Ten Commandments. So, as good Adventists, we all know uh, that in Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments are given from Mount Sinai to God's people after they were delivered out of Israel. And God himself speaks these commandments from the mountain in this blazing fire, this, this amazing display of God's glory and power from Mount Sinai to all the people of Israel. And then he writes them on stone with his own finger and gives them to Moses to give to the people. And so... The book of Deuteronomy is the last that Moses wrote, and of course he's coming to the end of his life and, and his leadership over the people. And in Deuteronomy, um, he is reviewing these Ten Commandments with God's people. He's reviewing them uh, as a reminder of that night, that day, 
when God made a covenant with his people on Mount Sinai. And so it's very interesting if you read uh, the Ten Commandments from Exodus and you read the Ten Commandments from Deuteronomy, the commandments are the same, but the motivations that God gives for keeping the commandments appear uh, to be somewhat uh, uh, modified or different. What do I mean by that? For example, the fourth commandment in Deuteronomy chapter 5, I've always remembered this uh, as an Adventist. When I first became a Seventh-day Adventist, I never forgot the fourth commandment in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And and it reads this way. It says, Deuteronomy 5.12, it says, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, nor you nor your sons, nor your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox or your donkey, your cattle, your stranger, uh, your male servant, or anyone. And in verse 15 he says, And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So God puts Sabbath keeping back in Exodus in the perspective of him being creator. That's the emphasis there. But in Deuteronomy chapter 5, while he is still the creator, the emphasis is on God's saving work. God's delivering his people out of Egypt. Before they ever kept any commandments, before they made any covenant with God, he saved them and therefore he said, keep my commandments. And so as Seventh-day Adventists, we should always remember that God is is calling us to, uh, to commandment keeping and to obedience because we are saved in Jesus Christ. Faith and salvation comes first, and then obedience to the law of God, because we cannot properly keep the law of God unless we have been saved, unless Jesus is in our heart and we understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when we do, then commandment-keeping becomes more of a joy. It becomes our own impulses and our own will. It becomes something more that we desire to do out of gratitude and love to God. And that really is kind of the heart of our text here in Deuteronomy 5.29. You see, um, God is, is wanting his people, his commandment-keeping people, to remain faithful to the covenant that was made on Sinai. Now, here in Deuteronomy, uh, after giving his holy law to his people, God actually anticipates the unfaithfulness of his people, even though he's longing for them to stay faithful to the covenant. He's anticipating that they will not. And he's seeing in the future He's saying, if they would just uh, be faithful to me, 
If they would just remember this covenant that we are making together, if they would just remember the redemption and salvation that I have given to them and walk faithfully with me, oh, they would be so blessed. Oh, they would experience these wonderful blessings that I have planned and intend to give my people. And so he desires for them to stay faithful and obey his commandments so that they would receive this benefit that he longed to give them. But not only that, but that in obedience to God, they would influence their own children and they would influence the nations around them to be a witness for himself. And so here we find um, a very important, uh, we find a very uh, important role, if you will, that the law was to play, or a very important purpose in keeping the law. You see, the Israelites, they could not earn, they could not prove their right to be God's people. They, they could never do that. That was never the intention of the law. It was not given by God so that he could say, okay, now I'm making a deal with you. If you can keep these, then you will be my people. Now, God had already delivered them, remember? So they were already his people. They, they had already benefited from God's saving act in delivering them from Egypt. So again, these were not merely house rules for everyone to get along. The Ten Commandments were meant to be a manifestation of the will and the character of God. And so imagine now these two people are in a relationship. And the way that marriages worked oftentimes uh, in, in ancient times was much different than it is today. Actually, for most of Earth's history, it operated much different than it is today, especially in our Western culture. So, you know, in our Western culture, people will date uh, for months and even years uh, before they will even get engaged and get married. So by the time, usually by the time people get married, uh, they've known each other for quite some time. They know their uh, their tendencies, they know what kind of character they have, they've had experiences with each other, they've weighed all the pros and cons, and they've made this decision in their mind whether or not they want to follow through with that. But in ancient times, uh, usually uh, marriages were prearranged, which sounds so strange and foreign to us today. We couldn't imagine having to be married to somebody that we didn't, in some cases, really even know. It was the parents that prearranged the marriage. Now, there were some positives to, to this in ancient times because who knows children better than their parents? So their parents could get together of two different households and they could talk about what, who, whether or not these, these two would be a good match. You know, they could talk about the pros and the cons, and, and they could weigh everything. And, and usually those who would get married, they were, they were young, you know. And um, science tells us that uh, 
important decision-making skills do not develop in the human brain until like the mid-20s, you know. And so in ancient times, people would often get wed in their teens or early 20s. So you see the, the benefit of having adults uh, making this decision. And so imagine two people getting together who don't even really know each other. Uh, much of the other person is foreign to them. So God is taking these brand new people uh, to himself. Of course, he knows them. But they have been slaves for over four centuries in Egypt. And by this time, a knowledge of God was, was so strange and foreign to them. And so God is entering into this marriage with his people. That's how the Bible often describes the relationship between God and his people. And so now here they are, and they're, they're basically getting married here on Mount Sinai. And he presents to them the Ten Commandments, the transcript of his character, to show them who he is and what he is like and what the expectations will be in this union together. But not only is it a transcript of his character, not only is it uh, something to uh, help to teach and give them guidelines and to show them uh, what, what it means to be God's people, but it was also very redemptive for the people of Israel. They had been living among pagans, the Egyptians, in a pagan land for so long that they had forgotten God. And so they needed to be re-educated uh, about the true creator God. And so this was one of this is why God gives the Ten Commandments in full here in uh, the first five books of the Bible. So they were meant to be a manifestation of God's character. This is who I am and and this is this is what our relationship is going to be built upon the covenant that is made in these Ten Commandments. Now, the Bible tells us very clearly that God himself spoke these Ten Commandments. And interestingly enough, as I was reading this week and I was looking in uh, Patriarchs and Prophets, uh, Ellen White actually says that all the other laws that were given, all the other laws uh, about um, relationship and for the community and all these things, they were all really giving to amplify the Ten Commandments. So they were given to for God's people to learn how to keep the Ten Commandments. So everything hung on these Ten Commandments. And then later on we would see in the New Testament that Jesus uh, summarizes these two commandments these Ten Commandments with two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. So God wanted to stamp and impress that same character into the hearts and minds of his newly redeemed people. And by presenting his law to them on Sinai, and by the Israelites agreeing to do it, God and his people entered into a covenant together like taking a marriage vow. 
So what that means is that to break the law of God was to break the vows that they had made with God. It was, it was as if when, when they would break the commandments, especially the first one, which was often most violated by the, by the Israelites, it was like committing adultery. And that's exactly how the Bible describes it. So you see how important it was for God's people to remain faithful to the Ten Commandments. It it was not just about rules, but it was also about this union, this relationship. Norman Gully, he puts it well in his uh, volume four of Systematic Theology on page 269. This is what he says. To break the law is to break a relationship. So the commandments in themselves are evidence not of legalism, but of love. So from the very beginning, when God laid down the law, he was showing them how to keep their family ties close and connected, like a father that is God, and his children, that is the people. This is how they were to keep their family ties close together. Now it says in in Matthew and in Mark, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then the question is, well, how practically do we do that? So we look at the first four of the Ten Commandments, these holy commandments given by God. And then Jesus says, again, to love your neighbor as yourself. Practically, how do we do that? So we look at the last six of those Ten Commandments. And and God lays it out there very clear and very plain. There is no grace, Norman Gulley goes on to say, there is no grace without law, for grace is necessary for law breakers. Living under grace is living under forgiveness and under empowerment to keep the law from the lawgiver, Christ Jesus himself. This is why the new covenant includes the law in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 33. So the new, even the new covenant in the New Testament included the law of God. God never intended that his holy law would be abolished at the cross. He never intended that it would be done away with, not in this life or in the next. As a matter of fact, let's read that text, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 33. And it it talks here in Jeremiah uh, about the new covenant Not the old one, but the new covenant that God would make with his people. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 33. And it reads, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, that's what we're talking about here in the writings of Moses, 
My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. Verse 33. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. So again, we see God wanting to impress and stamp that divine character onto his people. And the result of this, of of God's people being faithful, of, of God keeping his commandments as he's longing for here in Deuteronomy chapter 5, the result of this would be great blessing upon God's people. And in saying that, I, I have to clarify something because I think that uh, some Christians, and, and yes, some Adventists, have a misconception about receiving blessing from keeping God's law. And this is what I mean. I've had Adventist, seasoned Seventh-day Adventist come up to me and say, Pastor, I pay my tithe and I keep the commandments. I've done this for God. I've done that for God. I don't understand why I'm sick. I don't understand why I'm, I'm, I'm not receiving this certain blessing that I'm, I'm expecting. I've done my part. Why isn't God doing his? Of course, they don't say that, but that's the implication. Hey, if I keep the commandments, God, you have to pull your your weight in the bargain. This is is the deal here. I'm keeping my commandments to receive a blessing. So there's some kind of exchange. It becomes some kind of work program. But that's not at all what it means to be blessed by keeping the commandments of God. You see... When the Bible talks about being blessed by keeping the commandments of God, it, what it really means is that because of who God is and because we are in a covenant-keeping relationship with Him and we are connected to Him and, and He is our God, just being in that union with Him, we will receive a blessing from being with God. From him, from being connected to him. It's not an exchange program. Uh, let me give you an example. Simanko is, is a good cook. You know, that's, this is something that I did know before we got married. And uh, because we are married together, we live together, we've been married almost seven years now, I have enjoyed the benefit of her being a great cook which unfortunately not every husband can say. But their wives have some other positive uh, uh, things that they can do, that they contribute uh, to their union. But it's not a deal where, hey, you know, I bring home uh, the paycheck and, and I do this or that around the house and therefore you cook. No, no, no. It's because that's just who she is. She loves to cook. She loves good food and she knows how to cook well. And because I am connected with her, I receive this benefit. I get to partake in this blessing. I get to partake in this benefit. So it's not an exchange program. But if I were to do anything to violate our marriage, if I were to do something 
to violate her as a person, something that would cause distance or separation between the two of us, then how could I receive the blessing of of her wonderful cooking if we were separated, if we were distant from each other, if I had violated the marriage? I would miss out on this benefit because we're not connected, we're not unified, we're we're not together like we were before. And so when we violate the law of God, when we break his Ten Commandments, that sin separates us from our God. And because we are separated from God, then we do not receive the the blessing or the benefit that comes from being connected to God. So it's, it's not an exchange or work program. That was never the intention from the very beginning. Never the intention from the very beginning. We receive God's blessings because we are connected to him through Jesus Christ. Because we stay connected to God and we love him and we keep his commandments, then in that union we, are, we, it is a, it is, we receive that benefit. So this is, this is God's intention and this is how his people receive that blessing. This is a very important part of understanding our relationship to God and his law and the blessings that he wants to give us. And so this was God's desire for his people that, again, he would stamp that character on his people, that they would receive the blessings as a result of being unified with him. And then God's people would pass that blessing, they would pass that character, they would pass that union on to their children and uh, and they would influence the nations and the people around them. And so these this union and this blessing would be perpetuated throughout generations. It was supposed to spread far and wide to the ends of the earth. This was God's intention. This was God's longing here in verse 29. Keeping the commandments of God allow us to be a witness for God. Matthew 5 and verse 16, it says that we are to let our light so shine that it brings, that people see our good works and it brings glory to our Father in heaven. And so, Oftentimes, when we think about being a witness, we're often uh, our minds are drawn to, um, you know, sharing doctrinal truth from the Bible, which is good. Maybe Bible studies or tracts. That's great. Or the benevolent aspect of being a witness, uh, meeting people's needs, or caring for for uh, any uh, suffering or pain that is going on in their lives. This is a very important part of being a witness. But do we, all, do we ever think about how being faithful to God's commandments and ha- living a holy, sanctified life is also a witness to people? It is often a way that we witness to people with sometimes without even saying anything without even um, directly giving them materials or those type of things. When people simply watch our life, our words, and our attitude, this can be a witness 
as well. And so this is, this is one of the ways that God witnesses to the world through his people. One of the clearest and plainest of these uh, ways in the Old Testament is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We all know this story. The three Hebrew worthies that were serving in a high position in the Babylonian court. And after Nebuchadnezzar had this dream of the image and Daniel interpreted the dream to him and helped him to understand that he was the head of gold and then there, there would be uh, successive nations after him, Medo-Persia and Greece and Rome and others, uh, that there would be nations coming after him. Well, he got uh, upset about this. He didn't like the idea of his kingdom not standing forever. So he uh, made this image of gold. And he set it up for everyone to worship. And he called all of his administrators and all the people, the important people, to come and worship this golden image. And when it came time to bow down, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they refused to bow down. They refused to break God's first commandment, which says, you shall have no other gods before me. Or God's third commandment, which says, or second commandment, which says, you shall not make any graven images and bow down and worship them. And so through their witness, we know the story very well, through their witness, after being thrown into the fire because they did not worship, Nebuchadnezzar witnessed these three men come out of the fire. But not only did God preserve them, but he saw someone else in the fire with them that looked like the Son of God. And so their story remains as as a testimony to God's people throughout all time and to God's people at the very end of time as well. Because, you know... Though we live in a country where people are not being persecuted the way they were, people are not being asked to break God's commandments many times specifically in the way that they, that they were, but the temptations are there. The temptations are there to fudge a little bit on the Sabbath, to fudge a little bit on, on worshiping uh, other gods through materialism, to fudge a little bit on... Uh, the commandment to honor, honor our marriage vows uh, in, in adultery through things like pornography, to fudge a little bit on just a little white lie or taking just a little something, there's always these temptations to disobey, to dishonor God by breaking his commandments. And that's exactly what it does. It dishonors God. It's, it's a bad witness and it's breaking that covenant that, that we make with God through baptism. But it's important to emphasize here, uh, at this juncture of the message, that commandment keeping is, again, it's not about legalism, but it's about love. And Jesus makes this very clear to his appeal, in his appeal to his disciples toward the end of his life. He makes it very clear in John chapter 14 and verse 15 when he says to his disciples, If you love me, keep 
my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, helper, that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells in you and will be in you. I will not leave you, nor I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Isn't it very interesting that when God, when Jesus says, "If you love me, keep my commandments," that immediately after that, He promises to send the Holy Spirit. And church, I don't know about you, but that encourages me because it was clear from the very beginning back in the Old Testament, and it's clear in the New Testament that we do not keep the commandments of God by mere effort or sheer sheer will. It's, it's not like seeing who can try the hardest to be the most faithful. No, it's not a matter of, of just trying to uh, correct our mistakes by just not doing it again and trying harder next time. If that was the case, then Jesus would have never have had to have died on the cross if we could keep the commandments ourselves. There would never be a need for the Holy Spirit. But it is only through the power of God, through the Holy Spirit, and through union with Christ, that we can faithfully keep the commandments of God. And so this is our challenge in these last days, because most of the world is not. Most of the world has disregarded them, even Christianity. While many Christians, they claim to exalt the Ten Commandments, it's really only nine, while one of them is being disregarded, the fourth, concerning the Sabbath day. So God challenges us, and God is pleading with us, just as he did with his, with his people of old. Oh, that they had a heart to keep my commandments always, so that I would bless them. Church, this challenges us not to relax our guard on keeping the commandments of God. Because God's glory is at stake. The blessing of God upon your life and the life of those around you is at stake. And this is one of the greatest witnesses that God's people can practice is in keeping the commandments of God. It challenges us to stay close to Jesus and let our faith lead to trusting loving obedience to the commandments of God. May God bless you and happy Sabbath.